Recorded live. All right, guys, and welcome. Today is Tuesday, June 18th, 2013. This is John Friend. You are listening to The Realist Report here on TalkShoe. Be sure to check out my website, john-friend.net, and feel free to contact me at john.robert.friend at gmail.com, or feel free to add me as a friend on Facebook, and you, know, you can send me a message on Facebook or stay in touch that way. Uh, today, I have a special guest, a returning guest, Bill Fink of Christogenia.org. Bill, welcome. How are you doing today? Hello. Praise Christ. Yeah, good. I'm glad that uh, we, we could make this happen. There's a, there's a few topics that we got on uh, our agenda here. Um, we're going to be talking about the Founding Fathers and the United States Constitution, um, the role of Christianity in the Founding Fathers' thinking and you know just overall philosophy and how it really shaped and, and framed and influenced some of the documents that, that were produced in this era, including the Constitution. Um, and, and, you know, we're, we're going to be addressing some other uh, areas of, of early American history, including the slave trade um, and, and, you know, the, the, the nature of, of the slave trade and, and the role that Jews played in it. Um, so that's kind of a general outline. To start off, I thought I'd just, you know, make a couple opening remarks about the Founding Fathers, just my general views on them and some of the conclusions that I've come to. And then I'm going to ask you to do the same thing. Um, because, you know, when you're online nowadays, you see different things out there about the Founding Fathers. Some people claim that they were Masons, and the founding, the founding of America was really some sort of Masonic or Illuminati conspiracy. Um, and I think this is absolutely ridiculous. I think the Founding Fathers were some of the most righteous, honorable, and brilliant men that Western civilization has produced. Um, you know, I, I'd compare them to Adolf Hitler. I think Adolf Hitler and the Founding Fathers really represented the best our race and the best our civilization had has to offer. Um, I think these men were profoundly influenced by Christianity, although they were very skeptical um, of organized Christianity and, and institutionalized Christianity. For instance, the Catholic Church and the Church of England uh, they were very much against this. However, I, I think it's clear if you read their writings and and some of the you know some of the letters that they wrote to each other and to other correspondents, it's very clear that they were Christians. Thomas Jefferson himself wrote a Bible, uh, and we're going to be talking about that a little bit. Um, but I mean, I, I really do think that the founding fathers, men like Thomas Jefferson, George Washington, Ben Franklin, Thomas Paine, John Hancock, um, and, and countless others, they they really were honest, honorable, righteous men, you know, they'd look, at, they'd look at some of the politicians today and be absolutely disgusted and horrified because these men were professionals. They were statesmen. They put the interests of their nation first and foremost. They were really concerned about not only their own personal legacy, but also about the future of America and, and the future generations of America. Um, so, so that's kind of where I'm at. I'm not sure, Bill. What's your take, just generally, on the founding fathers and you know the Constitution? I guess we'll start with that. Well, well, they were. Well, well first, let, let me say that the, the founding fathers were definitely all Christian, and there is no doubt. Even the the Jews and the deists, deists. That that's a joke. That whole thing is a joke. The deists and the Jews claim that Thomas Paine was a deist, and it could be established that. Even he was a Christian, 
if you understand real Christianity, and, and John Adams sums up the feeling of many thinking men, and actually Benjamin Franklin has said many, has expressed these same ideas, and, and many thinking men who are actually real Christians, and, and when I say real Christians, I mean Bible-living, walk-the-walk Christians, where, where John Adams said, where do we find a precept in the gospel requiring ecclesiastical synods, convocations, councils, decrees, creeds, confessions, oaths, subscriptions, and the whole cartloads of other trumpery that we find religion and comfort with in these days. And that's why these men don't appear to be Christians, and that's why the perverters of our civilization find it easy to convince people today that these men weren't Christians because they rejected churchianity, which is all I could call it now. That this um, evangelical... And, and, and it's not only the evangelicals, it's the, the Baptists and the Lutherans and all the other flavors of Christianity today. None of them are real Christianity. They only use words and images and rituals to mask all sorts of anti-Christian behavior. That's what they're really doing. And, and it's a facade. It, it, it's um, vain. And, and it's all effrontery. It, it's all affront. And none right. of it's really Christian. That's why these people that claim to be Christians today, that, that are churchgoers, that they, they look at the founding fathers and, and, and question their Christianity because they don't know what Christianity really is. And the founding fathers <laughs> were, were real, organic, Bible-reading Christians. Now, now, they weren't all... Um, believers of the entire Bible. I mean, they had their differences. Um, some of them disputed the deity of Christ. Franklin and Jefferson were in that category. But they were still Christians because they, they advanced, they adhered to, and they promoted the moral philosophy of Christ. And to a real Christian, it's more important to follow the laws and the precepts and the moral teachings of the Bible. It's much more important to do that than to um, partake in rituals, which is totally unnecessary to a real Christian, or to believe in the miracles and, and the religious things that, that, that are a matter of faith and, and profess right. them. It's not important to profess that you believe the miracles. It's the miracles, the, the miracles were important in the first century to facilitate the spread of the gospel. Once the spread of the gospel took effect, the, the moral and, and um, philosophical teachings of Christ were, were, um, were, were attached to the people, and that's what's important about Christianity. Mm -hmm. so, so the miracles facilitated the spread of the gospel. They're not important to believe today. What's important is to walk 
the Christian walk and to adhere to the moral teachings. That's what's important. And that's yeah. how every single one of the founding fathers was a Christian. Yeah, you're exactly right. And I have a, I have a quote here from Thomas Jefferson I'd like to read real quick. Um, as I mentioned at the beginning, he, he put together a Bible. It's called the Jefferson Bible. I have a copy of it. And what he did was he basically took different parts of, I, I believe it was, it was only the New Testament and, and the Gospels, um, and, he, and he arranged them in, in a way that, you know, kind of made sense to him and, and thought would be a good way to, you know, kind of explain what Christ's message was all about and the philosophy of Christianity. Um, and, and he wrote a letter to a friend of his, Mr. Charles Thompson, um, who he had promised that he would, he would make a Bible at, at some point in his life, and he finally did. So he's basically writing a letter to this guy, letting him know he finally completed it, and, you know, he was proud of himself. And he, and he, he says here in this, in this letter, he says, A more beautiful or precious morsel of ethics I have never seen. And he's specifically talking about the Gospels here. And he goes on to say, it is a document and proof that I am a real Christian, that is to say, a disciple of the doctrines of Jesus, very different from the, from the Platonists who call me infidel and themselves Christians and preachers of the gospel. Um, and I think what seems clear to me, Bill, and maybe you can uh, you know, confirm this or, or add to this, they were very skeptical of the, of the, you know, of the priest class, of the clergy, of the organized, institutionalized church, whether it was the Church of England or the Catholic Church. Um, and, and as you said, some of these rituals, it, it, it was very superficial and really sort of tyrannical in a lot of ways um, and, and totally against what, what Christ's message was all about. Um, do, do I basically have that about right? Well, well absolutely. Christ was... Um... Yeah, you know, yeah, you know, it's it's there's a lot of that. There are many layers of understanding required to see the big picture. But basically, the lesson in the Old Testament is that men could not be deemed righteous or justified by rituals, and, and that's the lesson of the Old Testament, and and that's expressed um, explicitly in the New Testament by Christ and by Paul of Tarsus. That the um, Christ rejected the rituals. It, it's mercy I seek and not sacrifice, and and, and um, sought to inform the people who were his intended audience that they have to um, find their righteousness in in brotherly love, a, a love of their kind, and. A building of, of of their communities in 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 that love, and and that's what Christ, that's what real Christianity is about. And, and we express our love for our brother by following the 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 Christian moral precepts that lend us the ability to build great civilizations. Exactly. Which now, we've never ask you done. Which we've never done without Christianity or or without. The, the Roman, I mean, it could be argued that Greece and Rome were great civilizations, and yes, they were, but they started off on a much different footing than they ended up. And, and that would be a deep discussion. Rome was in sure. total depravity. It, it started off a very pious and, and, and um, 
law-abiding civilization, just like the United States, and it ended up rejecting its original traditions, and, and it became, a, by the first century, it was in total depravity. Homosexuality and, and, and was rampant, sexual, um, even Tacitus. Tacitus is a witness to this, the Roman historian. Paul of Tarsus is a witness to this. Rome was a depraved society for the last five centuries of its existence, and it's only the, the, the will of God that it lasted that long. Right. Well, let me ask you this real quick. What are some of the basic philosophical or, or moral precepts that, that have, well, that are instilled in Christianity and that have made Western civilization so great? If you could, you know, maybe list five or six of, of the core basic values um, that, that, you know, kind of characterize well, oh, the Christianity. Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments is the best summary. Right. Yeah, you know, don't, don't, it's, um, basically it's all summed up in caring for those of, of your kindred and, and your community and, and, exactly. and providing for them and, and not stabbing them in the back, not sleeping with their wives, not debauching their sons. You know, staying or abstaining from fornication. Look, look at the Jewish society of today. Pop culture is is all built around sexual depravity. That, oh yeah, <laughs> no doubt. That, that's that that's freedom to the Jew. That's what freedom is to the Jew. Right. Well, and now we got our our Boy Scouts accepting homosexuals as scout leaders, and I mean, it's just one thing after another. Every single day, I, I go through the headlines, and it's like. You know, it just gets worse and worse on a daily basis, it seems like. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, it's basically the downfall of every civilization is, is this sort of, you know, sexual depravity and, and, and just absolute corruption and moral degeneracy. I mean, that's exactly what we see in America today. And look at the state of affairs now. Um, you know, you were talking about Rome and how Rome was the same way. And, and look what happened to that civilization. Well, so it well seems sexual to be... depravity, it, it's, um, fornication includes race mixing, which was the downfall of all those civilizations. And, and it wasn't the only downfall because it was coupled with a, a, a society which became effeminate and, and, and seeking after luxuries and, 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 and sexual immorality. And, and that's caused the downfall of Egypt, Persia, Assyria, Rome. It, it's, it's very clear in Roman history. It's right. harder, and you have to dig a little deeper to get into Assyria and, and Persia and, and Egypt, but it's been the downfall of every single society. Yeah, yeah, I, I think you're definitely right about that. Um, well, getting back to the founders, um, I, I think you're absolutely right. There, there's no doubt that they, they were real Christians in the sense that they tried to live according to you know, the moral and philosophical precepts laid out by Jesus in the Gospels. Um, well, let me just well, ask well, you. To call, well, well, to call Thomas Jefferson, the Jefferson Bible, that term is, is a simplification, right? He didn't really write a Bible, but he did pull the, the, um, the, the principles, the moral principles and philosophical principles of Christ yeah. and collect them into, into a single volume without the miracles that, and, and all the other stuff. Right. And um, that, that's fine. Well, if called, you live by the moral precepts of Christ, you're a Christian. And yeah. that's all that matters. That, that's the most important part. And it was actually originally called the life and morals of Jesus of Nazareth. Yeah, exactly. That's what, exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. That's, that's, that was the title of it. Well, why, why did the founders 
view with such you know suspicion and and really disdain um, organized institutionalized Christianity, whether it was as I said the Catholic Church or the Church of England. Um, why why were they so skeptical of of organized Christianity? Well, well, because they they know that that it's all. It's all a product packaged and sold, sold on the people by the um, by a, a, a pre a, a class a, a type a, a type that's been with us forever uh, of that, that can only be called the priest craft, right? And, and all of these rituals, when when Christianity, the first three centuries of Christianity. There was a Levitical priesthood which had a purpose in the Hebrew Old Testament, and that time had passed with the dawn of Christianity. And that's the fulfillment of Hebrew prophecy. And for the first three centuries of the Christian era, there was no such thing as a Christian priest. There is no such thing as a Christian priest. Every man is the priest of his own household in Christianity. You don't need another man to, to justify you. You don't need another man to dispense rituals for you. That was all summed up in Christ. And that's what Christianity is supposed to be from that aspect. Now, you could read the first 300 years of Christian writers up until the 4th century, you will not find the term Christian priest. You won't find the term Christian priest until you get to the 4th century, the, the um, Council of Nicaea, and, and the time of Eusebius and Constantine the Great. And when Christianity was decriminalized, because that's what happened with Constantine the Great, right? It wasn't yet the official religion of Rome. It was only, it, it had become an acceptable religion, an acceptable religion as opposed to paganism or, or uh several other pagan, you know, traditional Roman paganism or several other varieties of paganism, like Mithraism. So Christianity became acceptable. It would no longer be persecuted after that time. Um, Christians would no longer be fed to the lions, which did go on for 300 years. Now, from that time, you start seeing this term in the writers of these uh, of these. these um, church bishops or whatever you want to call them, ecclesiastics, you start seeing this term Christian priest. Because the pagan priests, they, they were looking at a time when they weren't going to have a vocation unless they took down the sign that said Apollo and put up St. Peter or St. Paul and made their pagan temple into a Christian assembly. And they called it Christian, but they kept a lot of their pagan ways. And for a priest to legitimize his position, he has to um, have something to do, and that leads right to the dispensation of rituals and, Christ and, and Catholic sacramentalism. Catholic sacramentalism is not Christian. And the founding fathers, they read their Bibles. They knew all this, and they rejected it. Great minds should reject it. Anybody that reads their Bible and understands it and believes it should reject Christian or, or Catholic sacramentalism. Sure. 
I think another so reason why... So Christ, Christ cleansed Christians once and for all. It, it was over on a cross. That there's nothing that we can do to improve on our salvation. But we're either um, one of those preordained by God or we're not. Right. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. I also think they were very skeptical of, of you know, sort of the established Christianity because they, they, they saw how tyrannical it could be. Um, you know, where they're forced to pay taxes for the Church of England, for instance, or, you know, where they're basically being bossed around by a priest class, uh, as you were saying. Um, they, they viewed it as a form of tyranny. Do you think that's right? Well, well yeah, that's absolutely right. The, the, um, the founders understood that the Catholic model, what was basically worship of the Pope, and it, it was the, the rule of religion over the state, and they understood that the, um, the Anglican church model was basically the worship of the king and the rule of, of the state over religion. They wanted to avoid both situations. That's the exactly. reason for the First Amendment. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think they viewed it as much more political in nature rather than, you know, spiritual. You know, any sort of organized, institutionalized church would be about exerting political power rather than any sort of, um, you know, genuine spiritual or religious function. Well, well, it was a tyranny. It was a tyranny that many, um, many of the original colonists came here in order to escape. Not exactly. only the English, but also many of the Germans. Mm-hmm. Yep. The, the German experience in, in the um, late, se- late 17th century was the Thirty Years' War. And, and half of Germany was wiped out in order to keep it, in, 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 because they were fighting against papal tyranny. And, and, and the papists didn't want to lose Germany because Germany was a gravy train for Rome for a long time in the Holy Roman Empire. And they mm-hmm. took great advantage of the German people in order, and used Germany as a cash cow for hundreds of years. They didn't want to lose that. That's why the Thirty Years' War was fought. The, Jew, the, the Jesuits, the papacy, had been usurped by Jews, and, and they were seeking to keep the German people under their thumbs. That's why the Thirty Years' War was fought. Now... And that's that's why the Germans broke from from the church was because of the um, indulgences were were Martin Luther's primary um, complaint, but but not his only complaint. Now, now the um, a lot of German settlers came here, and and their grandparents and parents had lived through that Thirty Years' War, and and that's they they came here from as early as 1708 in 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 my memory. That now the, um, the, the English, the, the Plymouth Colony, the Bay Colony, the, those colonies in New England, um, Rhode Island, they were settled by primarily Englishmen who, who were escaping the tyranny of the Anglican Church and, and, and the um, imposed King James Version, the official religion, that the officially sanctioned translation of the Bible, which that they didn't like, not that the Geneva Bible is that much better, but that was the Bible of the colonists. They wanted their religious freedom. And, and, and that's why they founded Bay Colony. That's why they founded Plymouth Colony. Pennsylvania, William Penn fully intended. 
Pennsylvania, which was granted to him to be a Christian, um, to, to be a Christian nation in, in the New World, and safe for, for Christians of, of um, basically any, any Christian creed. That's why Pennsylvania was founded. Christianity mm-hmm. was codified. It was codified into all of the early legislative acts founding Pennsylvania as a colony. And, and Pennsylvania originally included um, Delaware and New Jersey. But, but that's besides the point. Pennsylvania was founded as a Christian state in the New World, purposely. Yeah. Now, um, yeah. So, so well, many of the, the, the charters that, that were drawn up, um, the colonial charters, or I'm not even sure if that's the right term, uh, but even, the, even many of the state constitutions that were written and developed after the founding of America, I mean, they were all very much Christian, just outright Christian. I mean, if you well, well, read... In every colony, even in Dutch New Amsterdam, which is, you know, New York was at one time, even in Dutch New Amsterdam, there, there were Jews, but they could not be citizens they could not openly practice their religion, and they basically had to stay in the closet for, for a long time. The, the, um, it, it's a shame. Peter Stuyvesant, he wanted to run the Jews out of New Amsterdam. He didn't want them there at all, but he was an employee of, of that Dutch East India Company, and he had to follow orders, and he was told to leave the Jews to let them stay in, in, New, in New Amsterdam. He was told to let them stay, but... He, he did have the authority to make them non-citizens and, and, and um, basically without a lot of the rights that Christians had. And, and Jews, I don't want to call them second-class citizens because they weren't citizens. They were not citizens. Aaron Lopez was a rich Jewish merchant, and he tried like hell to, to get citizenship in Rhode Island, and they would not give it to him. They never gave it to him. Mm-hmm. And um, it was like that in most of the colonies and, and, and in most of the later states. The Jews, it, was like that. it was like that all over Europe until the French Revolution. Well, well right. It was like that all over Europe until and, – and that's the way it should be. And, right. And, uh, Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> and the emancipation of the Jew came with the French Revolution and, and Napoleon. It, it was actually Napoleon that um, – the Jew, Jews became emancipated in France, and Napoleon exported that emancipation to whatever lands in Europe he conquered. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, especially in Germany. Uh, well, England, they had already kind of infiltrated. Um, well, well, right. England, they infiltrated. That they, they, they were infiltrating England with the time of William the Conqueror. And then um, I think it was Edward I threw them all out in in the 13th century, and then they they bought their way back in with Cromwell. The Dutch Jews that that they got their way into New York with with um, into New Amsterdam with, with the Dutch East India Company. They got their way into um, England with Cromwell. Right. Yeah, and there's some. I have some quotes here that they've been somewhat disputed. Um, and, and so I'm not sure exactly if they are reliable, but it, it's some pretty interesting quotes that you can find online of guys like Benjamin Franklin and Thomas Jefferson talking about the Jews and talking about the Illuminati, um, which we'll talk about in just a little bit. Um, Bill, I wanted to talk about 
the revolutionary nature of what the of what men like Thomas Jefferson and John Adams, George Washington, the, the founding fathers, what these men were were involved in, in the struggle they were involved in. Um, and I have a couple quotes here I'd like to read real quick and then get your take on it. Um, the first one is uh, Thomas Paine, and it comes from Thomas. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Common Sense, and he says here. The cause of America is in a great measure the cause of all mankind. We have it in our power to begin the world over again. The birthday of a new world is at hand. And then I have one other quote I'd like to read from... This is a letter from John Adams to his wife, Abigail Adams. And he says here, Is it not a saying of Moses, who I am, that I should go in and out before this great people? When I consider the great events which are past and the greater which are rapidly advancing, and that I may have been instrumental in touching some springs and turning some small wheels, which have had and will have such effects, I feel an awe upon my mind which is not easily described. And, well, well first off, it's interesting that, that um, John Adams is, is referring to Moses of the Old Testament and basically comparing what what he was all about with what they're doing currently um so, so what's your take on the on the revolutionary nature uh, of you know what the founding fathers were trying to accomplish and what they were you know what they stood for well well they had a, they had a lot of influences right the the colonies were he- being heavily oppressed by england not only in um in in taxes but mostly more importantly in the ability to produce a viable currency, in the ability to manufacture their own goods. England had restricted American manufacturers and forced Americans to ship raw materials to England and buy them back as finished goods at, at, at much higher rates. It, it's, there were many ways that the colonies were being oppressed, while at the same time, a lot of great men who, who were Christians and, and who thoroughly knew their Bibles and, and believed them, they were also influenced by the Enlightenment philosophers such as Hume and, and, and people like that. And, and the, the, the rights of man, Thomas Paine, I mean, those ideas had been around a long time before Paine was, was able to... Um, to summarize them in a, in a way that actually riled the people into um, actually standing up for those rights, which is basically what happened in a transformation. That there was an important transformation from 1775 to 1776, where up until Thomas Paine, um, Thomas Paine's common sense, men sought to address their grievances before the king. And after common sense, men sought to simply break from the king. So, right. so that's, that, well, that's what common sense did. Yeah, well, let's talk about that real quick, because what, what the founding fathers were talking about were, were basically natural rights and an understanding that there are well, basically well, in, inalienable... Those, yeah, go ahead. That they saw those natural rights as Christian rights and... and um, well, exactly, yeah. I can quantify that from Thomas Paine. Thomas Paine was another one that, that was, he, he, he was a Christian. It, it can be demonstrated, even though it couldn't be, demo- I couldn't convince an evangelical 
that Thomas Paine was a Christian, but I could convince a Bible-believing Christian that Thomas Paine was a Christian. That the um, <laughs> Paine talk, 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 talking about um, religion and, and the rights of man, and, and um, I, I have a couple of quotes here from his rights of man um, essay that I, I would like to read. Though I mean not to touch upon any sectarian principle of religion, but the founders didn't want to argue over the different sects because they would never agree, right? Quaker, Protestant, uh, um, Calvinist, um, Anglican, they would never agree. And, and that was another reason for the First Amendment, right? But, though I mean not to touch upon any sectarian principle of religion, yet it may be worth observing that the genealogy of Christ is traced to Adam. Why then not trace the rights of man to the creation of man? And Thomas Paine and Benjamin Franklin were, and Thomas Jefferson were all of the same mind, that if the Bible teaches that all men, all men are derived from Adam, then all men are created equal in the eyes of God. And if you want to understand that all men are created equal in, in the um, in the Declaration of Independence, that line, it, it means that in, in Thomas Jefferson's writing, it can be established that it means that all men are created equal in the eyes of the law, in the eyes of the judgment of God. And, and that means that all men should be judged equally for, for, their, for their errors and, and for their crimes or, or for what they've done well. And, and the English nobility were basically above the law. And that's why that statement was made in the Declaration of Independence. Mm-hmm. So they now, wanted – they were – oh, go ahead. Thomas Paine goes on. I, this is going to be a, a long quote, right? It's almost a page. Oh, the, yeah, first, the first was a government of priestcraft. He's talking about world governments, right? The second of conquerors and the third of reason. And, and when he says a government of priestcraft, he's talking about the ancient pagan governments, right? And when he talks about the government of conquerors, he's talking about the, the European nobility because they basically became nobles through the sword. And, and when he talks about the, the government of reason, he's talking about the, the revolutions of his day and age. And he says, when a set of artful men pretended through the medium of oracles, and he's talking about how that priestcraft manipulates people and governments, right? To hold intercourse with the deity as familiarly as they now march up the back stairs in European courts. The world was completely under the government of superstition. The oracles were consulted, and whatever they were made to say became the law. And this sort of government lasted as long as this sort of superstition lasted. He's talking about the ancient, the Babylonian priesthood, the Roman priesthoods, that. that the, the Greek oracles and priesthoods that had a tremendous amount of sway and power over governments and people. And they did. All of the kings of the ancient Greek world consulted the oracles before they did anything. And the priestesses and the priests at the pagan temples had great opportunity to manipulate those kings. And they did it all the time. Paine goes on to say, after these, a race of conquerors arose, whose government, like that of William the Conqueror, was founded in power, and the sword assumed the name of the scepter. Governments thus established 
last as long as the power to support them lasts. But they might that but that they might avail themselves of every engine in their favor, they united fraud to force, and they set up an idol which they called divine right, the divine right of kings, right? And which, in imitation of the Pope, who affects to be a spiritual and temporal, and in contradiction to the founder of the Christian religion, this is Thomas Paine assessing the papacy, right? Twisted itself afterwards into an idol of another shape called church and state. The key of St. Peter and the key of the treasury became quartered on one another, and the wondering, cheated multitude worshipped the invention. Thomas Paine and the rest of the founding fathers despised the papacy as a fraud, and they're right. It is a fraud. Any Bible-believing mm-hmm. Christian would understand the papacy was a fraud. It was a fraud set up to oppress man. And he says, and he says explicitly that that's in contradiction to the founder of the Christian religion. Yeah, exactly. He goes on to say um, that there was a time when the lowest class of what are called nobility was more thought of than the highest is now. In other words, the nobility became despised, right? And when a man in armor riding throughout Christendom in quest of adventures was more stared at than a modern duke, yeah, you know, Thomas Paine is referring to white Europe as Christendom. And that's what, what we call it. We call it Christians should understand that that's Christendom. Well, we've lost that understanding. Thomas Paine had it. But this is important. This is Thomas Paine. This is Thomas Paine not from the rights of man, but from common sense. And it's only one paragraph. And um, in it, He's talking about the the king, right? The position and and the authority of king. In it, he says, and I quote, But where, says some, is the king of America? I'll tell you, friend, he reigns above. I love it. I'm sorry, yeah, go ahead. It's good. And does not make havoc of mankind like the royal brute of Britain, meaning the king of England, right? Yet, yet that we may not appear to be defective, even in earthly honors, let a day be solemnly set apart for proclaiming the charter. Let it be brought forth, placed on the divine law, the word of God. Let a crown be placed thereon, by which the world may know that so far as we approve as monarchy that in America the law is king. What law is he talking about? He's talking about the divine law. He's talking about the word of God. All of these American colonies, all of these colonies that became states were all Christian. And Christians at that time understood the words of Christ. If you love me, keep my commandments. Thomas Paine is professing that the king of America reigns above, and he's referring to Christ. Deists don't use that language of their ethereal, um, invisible God. They don't do that. 
they yeah. don't use that language of of their uh, of their creator God or however the, the individual. I mean, there's all different kinds of that. There's all different flavors of deists. They don't use that language of of what they perceive as God. Thomas Paine, by making this proclamation, is clearly demonstrating his Christian attitudes. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, there's no <laughs> doubt. Well, all you got to do is, is read what some of these guys wrote um, to, to, to see that they were definitely Christians, not the superficial, you know, church-going Christians, but, but real Christians, as, as we've been talking about. Um, and real quick, so, so basically what you're saying is that natural law or, or the, the, the conception of where our rights come from or, or derive from um, is, is fundamentally Christian in nature. Is, is that pretty right. much what? Yeah, okay. So, so I, I mean, think about that, though. Think about that conception of where our rights come from versus the, the older conception where basically, you know, you were a subject to, to some king or, or now in America where we're all basically, you know, slaves to Jew bankers and, and this Jew government. Um, you know, we've totally lost this conception of where our rights actually come from. And, and well, this well, idea... I, I, yeah. I have a quote on my site that I like that I wrote for one of my papers. I don't remember which one. And it, it's in the rotating banner at the top of Christi, Christogenia, right? It says, if man believes that his rights are endowed by the Creator, as the founders of this nation recognized, they all recognize that. Franklin, Jefferson, it can be demonstrated from their own writing, and I'd like to discuss that in a minute. Then man understands that those rights are inalienable. In other words, if I believe that our collective rights come from God, then I understand that I can't take them from you. And you can't take them from me. If man believes that his morals are passed down from God, as the founders of this nation also recognized, which, which we have in the Jefferson Bible, right? Then man understands that those morals are immutable. Morals passed down from God can't be changed by man, right? Yet man has allowed the Jew to litigate God out of modern society. Now we have no rights and no morals. It's that simple. Yeah, that's, that's very true. Now, you said you wanted to talk about some of the, some of the writings of well, well, the founders. Yeah, you know, okay, yeah, let's I had read Carl Van Doren. Carl Van Doren was a professor at Princeton University in New Jersey. In, in, in the 30s and, and I think into the 40s. And he was, um, he, he was a pretty renowned historian, right? What we'll find in a study of history that the people that the Jews promote the most, they're the traders, right? The, the people that get the most space on the bookshelves and bookstores, they're the traders. The, the people F who F support F the Jews. Yeah, FDR and Churchill. <laughs> right. That they yes. all sold this out. It goes all the way back. I'm about to, I hope one day this summer, do a paper on Cotton Mather. He sold this out. And, and, and he was killing these little girls in the Salem witch trials, but, but he has an, an, an unblemished record today, and he's extolled by, by historians as a, um, a great divine. The man was a damn traitor. 
He had his head up the Jew's ass, and he was killing young girls for, o- over hocus pocus. It, it's crazy. He should have been hung. Mm-hmm. But but he he made New England safe for Jewish usury. That's why the Jews love him. That's why he's extolled today as a virtuous man. And, and he was everything but. That, that's just an example. This Carl Van Doren, he wrote a very famous biography of Benjamin Franklin. And he quoted many passages from Benjamin Franklin's letters. But there's not one word about Christ in a thousand pages of his biography. It's a pretty thick book. I have a copy of it somewhere here. It may be 800 pages. It may be 1,000. It's pretty thick. Not one word about Christ. Well, as soon as I got the opportunity, I went to the University of Pennsylvania website, and they have all the letters of Benjamin Franklin digitized. And I started reading the letters of Franklin, and Franklin professing Christian morals, Franklin professing Christian values, Benjamin Franklin advocating that every young man in Pennsylvania should have a Christian education. None of this was in Carl Van Doren's famous biography of Benjamin Franklin. 800 pages, 1,000 pages, not one word about Christ. Figures. It's, it's the way that they revise history. They just quote you know, half letters, that they write their points around Christianity and avoid the issue. And here we have an 800-page book, and Franklin made many references to Christ, Christianity, the importance of Christianity in society, the importance of, in Christian right. moral principles to, to a, um, a flourishing society. It's incredible. Well, well, you know, Bill, one of the things that I've, I've come to recognize is that, I mean, obviously the founding fathers, you know, Franklin, Jefferson, John Adams, all these guys, they were absolutely brilliant, very well read. You know, they studied the classics, that they were familiar with all sorts of different philosophers, and almost every single one of them, Thomas Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin for sure, they specifically said that the morals and philosophy um, as outlined in the Gospels were, were, were the most supreme philosophy they've ever read. You know, I mean, they clearly said that, that the philosophy of Jesus Christ was, was the ultimate philosophy that, that they had you know, encountered in their life. Well, well, absolutely. Right. They were all Christians. It, it, what, what you want to believe of the miracles doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. It, it's how you live your life that, that makes or breaks you as a Christian. You could, you could profess the name of Jesus. You could believe the resurrection. You could believe that Christ is king. You could believe that Jesus is God and incarnate. And you could be an adulterer and a fornicator and, and the murderer of your brethren. And, and um, what, what, what kind of Christian are you? Exactly. And, and that's most well, Christians that, today. Well, it's this really superficial, just fake Christianity where, oh, you know, you, you can go to church and, and confess. And then, you know, the rest of the week you can, you know, break every single commandment that there is, you know. Oh, they go to church for an hour Sunday morning. And then they go eat um, a, a, a large hunk of swine's ass for, for lunch while they worship <laughs> Negroes running a ball around a football field all evening. Exactly. 
they're not Christians. That that's entirely superficial. And and Christ would say, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Yeah, and and you look at um, you know the founding fathers, and they were all very accomplished men, um, very hardworking, very dedicated. You know, they were all pretty much most of them were. Well, I guess a lot of them were kind of uh, from a from a wealthier background, but not all of them. But I mean. They still were very hardworking and and you know honorable and and righteous. I mean, there's no doubt about that. Well, well, John Adams was actually educated for the ministry, but he didn't like the superficial the superficiality of organized religion. So he became a lawyer, but he was educated for the ministry. James Madison was educated. For the ministry. He was adept in Hebrew and Greek. He was um, very um, educated in the Old Testament, and he was absolutely an avowed Christian, but he became a lawyer instead of a minister. The, the, even though they're listed, their occupations are listed as lawyers, that their educations are as ministers, and that they aren't the only two. A lot of, most of the founding fathers had excellent Christian educations. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. that they were, um, John Hancock was educated by a, um, a, a, a Christian minister. A, a lot of the founding fathers were. That, that was um, the, the, one of the primary conduits for education in colonial America. Oh, yeah, exactly. And they received well, classical well, education. They received real yeah. education. They read Plutarch. They read Strabo. They, they read the classics. They understood history. That They understood their Bibles, and, and, and they accepted them as history, correctly so, and, and they were able to do the great things that they were able to do because of they're, they're wonderful educations, and, and we're lacking this today. Most yeah. people today are educated through cartoons and video games and, and Jew movies. Yeah, that is so true. I mean, and that's why I've said that Christianity really is the bedrock of Western civilization. And, you know, obviously there's, there's all sorts of problems with mainstream Christianity, with, with the institutionalized form of Christianity yeah. – um, and, and this universalist, universalist outlook or perspective, and, and it really it's, it's sort of imperial, um, you know, nature that, that organized Christianity has, has taken throughout history. Um, but, I mean, the, 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 the morals and, and the philosophical foundation that Christianity provides, really, I, I do think it is the bedrock of our civilization, and it's a big reason why we've been able to accomplish so much. Um, and, and I mean, I look at, as I said at the beginning, I look at the founding fathers and Adolf Hitler as some of the, you know, the, the, the best representations of our civilization, some of the greatest men our civilization has produced. And you look at these guys and, and their entire foundation is Christian, but, well, it's, not, but it's not the, the, the superficial, you know, churchianity that, that, you know, that, that you were speaking about. Well, well, right, and, and Hitler also rejected that. He, he, he made yep. um, appearances in churches from time to time for political reasons. Uh-huh. He, his, 
His philosophy in Mein Kampf is Christian throughout. But no, it's a no. real Christian <laughs> philosophy. Yeah. And, and he was a real I'm sorry. I'm sorry to interrupt you, Bill. Let's let's talk about that. That that's actually a subject I want to talk a little bit more about. Um, let, let's wrap up with the founding fathers, and then and then we can get into that. Um, I don't know. Did you have any more comments about some of the founding fathers' actual writings? I know you wanted to to make a couple more comments on that, or were you pretty much done with that? Well, well, I got a paragraph about common sense. I would like to read it. It's on a paper on my site. I would like to read it just to give people an idea, a, a good solid idea. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, I think this is a, um, I think this is a good paragraph, and we just read one paragraph from Thomas Paine's Common Sense, where he says that the king of America, the real king, reigns from above, and that's a reference to Christ, and that in America the law is king, meaning the divine law, the law of God. And that's Thomas Paine's attitude when he wrote Common Sense, that this is the one the Jews love to say was a deist, and, and they're lying. That they're right. simply lying. They might be lying out of ignorance in this case, but they're lying without a doubt. Thomas Paine's Common Sense was published January 1776. It was read all over the Christian world, translations having been made into German, Danish, and Russian. Perhaps as many as half a million copies were sold in the opening years of the Revolutionary War. So, so this book, proclaiming Christ as king and the law as king in America, the divine law, the law of God, that this is being read all over Europe. Paine's work changed the political climate in America from one of seeking an address of grievances before the king to one of actually pushing for independence. Then on March 16th of 1776, John Hancock, he was the president of, of the Continental Congress, Hancock's Congress passed an official congressional resolution. This proclamation, signed by President Hancock, made May 17, 1776, was a day of humiliation, fasting and prayer. Now, now this is two months before the, um, the Declaration of Independence, right? Throughout the colonies, the Continental Congress urged its fellow citizens to confess and be well our manifold sins and transgressions, and by a sincere repentance and amendment of life, appease God's righteous displeasure, and through the merits and mediation of Jesus Christ, obtain his pardon and forgiveness. You see, the American colonists understood that England was oppressing them, and they believed that any oppression that came upon Christians was on account of their sin and, 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 and sought redress with God for that. That's a Christian attitude. So we see that the leaders of the continental government saw their oppression by the English parliament to be a result of sin as educated men at one time certainly understood that crisis, which is the Greek word for judgment, was a result of the wrath of God on sinners. That's what they believed, and that's what they sought um, was repentance and, and, and the, the um, appeasement of, of Christ, right? We also see that they appealed to the people for repentance and to Jesus Christ for deliverance. 
And that's what Christians men should do. And that's what deists would never do. They weren't deists. They were Christians. The colony of Massachusetts, as soon as Thomas Paine was uh, released common sense, the colony of Massachusetts immediately ordered a number of these proclamations to be printed so that every religious assembly in the colony could be furnished with a copy to be read on Sunday to the people. Yeah, well, well that's, a, that's an interesting point that you make. And I wanted to actually get into that. Um, that, that was a, a definitely a topic I wanted to talk about. And that is the role that you know, small, congrega- small Christian congregations and, and, and Christian preachers played in, you know, I, I guess, uh, ginning up support for the revolution and, and the call to arms to resist British tyranny. What, what was the role uh, of these men? Well, yeah, I guess that, well, they were basically all, uh, or a lot of them were, were pastors or, or preachers, Christian preachers, correct? Well, well, right. There, there was something referred to as the Black Robe Regiment. There were okay, a, yeah, a, a that's large what I was... number of Christian preachers who saw right. the, the unrighteousness of the oppression of England on the colonies. You have to, well, one thing we forget easily, and, and the colonists always had in mind, most of the colonists were Englishmen. Most of them were Englishmen. They were simply Englishmen living in an extension of England. So why should they be treated differently than Englishmen at home? Mm-hmm. Why should they be oppressed and, and forbidden many of the rights and luxuries that Englishmen at home enjoyed? If they had stayed home, there would be no difference. That they would, if they had stayed in England, they'd still be enjoying the, the rights to their own manufacturers and, and their own currency or, or, or any of that. But as, um, that there was a large cross-section of, of the clergy that fully understood those issues and saw how their constituents were oppressed and, and, and wanted to, um, to, to correct that injustice. So Thomas Paine's, this proclamation, what was read throughout the colonies in, in all the churches, Massachusetts led the way. And, and Thomas Paine's Common Sense, that booklet, when it was, when it was published, what was read in Christian churches across, uh, across the English colonies. And, and church, church men read it from the pulpits. So, it, I mean, it, so without a doubt, the, the role that, you know, Christian preachers played in, in the American Revolution, especially, you know, ginning up support, you know, to, to come fight and, and fight on the side of, 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 you know, the founding fathers. It was instrumental. Is that right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Christ, Christianity And, you know, was, Bill, it's funny. You certainly do not learn about that in school. No, <laughs> Christianity was, was the fiber. It was the fiber of society at this time. It was the makeup of society. Even if many thinking men rejected churchianity, I mean the the, um, the, the pulpit, the, the Christian assembly has its good use if it's used properly. 
when rituals and sacramentalism are used to rule over people, that's an abuse of the, of the pulpit. Exactly. Well, much, I, like, much like how the, how the United States Constitution could be a force for good, but, but the way it's being interpreted and, 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 you know, just shredded at this point, you know, it, you know well, I, I see some parallels there. John Adams made a, um, a, a, a remark that, you know, uh, it, I'm sorry, it might, it might have been Benjamin Franklin, that, that we gave them a, 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 as good a government as we could get if they can only hold on to it. And they understood that only a pious and very wakeful and alert people could maintain the republic under the Constitution. They understood that. Thomas Jefferson Jefferson warned of abuses, of potential abuse of the general welfare clause. He warned of that. He knew that 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 was going to be abused. And, and that's basically what one of the primary clauses in the Constitution that, that um, has been the most abused in order to institute a new tyranny is the General Welfare Clause. And Thomas Jefferson warned of it 200 years ago. Yeah, exactly. So, so it's that they knew that only a um, you know it's it, it's Christian. Christian freedom, the, the maintenance of Christian liberty requires diligence. And, and it's very clear that our people were not diligent, not at all. And the, um, it, it's, not, it's only our fault, period. It, exactly. it's, um, most people today, most people today deserve their own enslavement because they haven't read these documents. They haven't read this history. They want to. They, they want to go running their mouths about the way things should be. They have no idea how things should be because they have no idea how things have been. Exactly. They, well, let, let's, they don't have any of the ingredients they need in, in in order to rectify anything. Right. Yeah. I. Well, I, I totally agree. I mean, people are just. We have we have we're, we have access to so much information nowadays thanks to the internet, and yet people still are largely ignorant of, you know, pretty much everything, especially history. I mean, they might be able to, you know, they might be up to speed on on the latest scandals or, you know, the sports teams or, or what you know celebrity gossip, but they certainly don't know any history, especially any real history. Um, but I wanted to get your take real quick on the founding fathers and, and their views on blacks and, and slavery. Um, you know, the, the one book I was I was mentioning to you before the program started, I, I'm, I'm reading right now. It's called Vindicating the Founders, Race, Sex, Class, and Justice in the Origins of America. And it's sort of one of these mainstream books. It's, I mean, it's, it's pretty good. Um, you know, the, the founding fathers are really hammered by the liberals and, and, you know, the cultural Marxists, they call them, you know, racist and, and, you know, all all the other typical buzzwords that that we hear. Um, Because, I mean, men like Jefferson and Washington and pretty much every other founding father recognized that, that blacks were an inferior race as far as, you know, intelligence and, and, and cognitive thinking ability is concerned. And, and they wrote about that and they, and they talked about it. And, and, they recognize this, 
but they but pretty much all of them to a man recognized that slavery was absolutely wrong and it was sort of one of these things that they didn't want to outright ban it but they didn't want to you know continue it it was they, they were it, it was a an untenable situation really i mean really it kind of goes to the heart of of, of how well, america well, well, that, that, that's because first first the bible they all recognize slavery is wrong yes but the bible uh, even even the christian bible upholds the property rights of slave owners And there's several passages in Scripture to, where that could be illustrated, mostly in Paul's, um, Paul's epistles to Timothy and, and some of the parables of Christ. Recognize property rights, the property rights of slave owners. And, and the founding fathers never wanted to in, in, infringe on property rights. And that's important. So, so that's why... That there's a um, that there's, it's like a catch twenty two position. Exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah, slavery, you're well, right. Yes. They, they didn't want to infringe on property rights, and and they they recognized that the slavery issue was one of the keys that was holding back the the, the nation from really forming as a, as a cohesive you, you know nation. I mean, uh, the the southern states were absolutely adamant. They, they you know they wanted to maintain slavery. Um, and, and a lot of them, you know, like I said, they did recognize that it was fundamentally unjust and, um, you know, totally unnatural. One of the things that, that many of the founding fathers, especially Jefferson, they recognized that, that they need to get rid of all the blacks. They wanted to send them all back to Africa or, or, or send them to the Caribbean, you know, to an island down there, because they anticipated a race war if, if these people were to be made free. Well, well right, absolutely. They know but they knew better to understand that diverse races of people is first, first diverse races of people mixing and cohabiting is contrary to Christianity. It's absolutely contrary to Christianity. Secondly, they knew that, that the welfare of the nation could not survive with diverse races of people in it and it wouldn't be able to retain its white Christian character. They knew that. So, so yes, they did want to send all the blacks back for the most part. And, and some of them, you know, some of the founding fathers are all over the map on, on the issue of blacks as people. Benjamin Franklin, he, he just saw them as, as black savages and, and wanted them totally excluded. He would have uh -huh. excluded all the Southern Europeans too. He would have excluded all the Eastern Europeans too. If, if well, he was a, he was a Nordicist, correct? He he was strictly you know Anglo Saxons, you know British, right. you know, English, and German Saxon. That's it. If you weren't yeah. if you weren't British English or German Saxon, you were excluded. He, he yeah. saw you as a, as a um as a Palatine boar or or, or a swarthy. Um, undesirable. He wanted to exclude all blacks and tawnies. <clears throat> and, and that's the word he used, was tawnies. And anybody with an olive or, or, or a complexion a little darker than paper, and you were out. <laughs> well, it's interesting he, because, you, you know, it's, not, it's never really framed this way. I mean, the founding fathers were basically white separatists. You know, the, the, this country was founded by white people, for white people. And, and the uh, Constitution is for us and our posterity. 
That's exactly the, that's the opening line of the Constitution. That word posterity means descendants. That's how the founding fathers define that word. The proof of that is in Noah Webster's first dictionaries. Posterity is offspring or descendants, period. The U.S. Constitution <laughs> right. was for them and their descendants. If you're not one of those people, you don't belong. And every well, law or amendment that violates that is automatically void. And, and these people in this country are so damn stupid to accept that 14th Amendment, they should have been marching on Washington with pitchforks back then because it's exactly. a clear violation to the very essence of the Constitution in the first place. Yeah. Well, let me ask you, you know, the Jews, when, the, let me get this, yeah. the, the Jews, the Jewish people today, they see the war of northern aggression as the second American revolution because they had fought tooth and nail in every colony, in every state for equal citizenship, and they still didn't have it by the time of the American Civil War. So they see that Civil War as a second American revolution because that's when they gain their full emancipation with that 14th Amendment. Huh. Yeah, that, that's a good point. And, you know, I was going to ask you, when, when did this transformation take place? Because clearly if you read the Founding Fathers and, and you know, the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, it's quite clear that this nation was founded by white Anglo-Saxons for white Anglo-Saxons and their posterity. Um, so, so when did this, this conception of American nationalism change from sort of a racialist perspective to a civic or, or, you know, an idea where you, know, you, can, you can become, right, so, so in America today, you can be, you know, a, a Chinese person doesn't speak any English or, or, you know, an Arab or a Turk or whatever, and you can come and be an American by simply, you know, signing some papers and, and taking a pledge. It's absolutely ridiculous. Well, well, the truth is if people understood their own damn language, you can't be uh, patriotic with me unless we have a common patriarch. And if you have patriarchs different mm -hmm. than mine, we can't be patriotic together. You could just go somewhere else and be patriotic, like back to <laughs> Mexico. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, I, I, this idea is, is totally Jewish to the very core. And, and you know, Bill, I, I get it. I mean, so many people I talk to when, I, when we talk about um, – you know, for instance, all the illegal immigrants out here or, uh, you know, whatever, any, any, any number of issues relating to race. And, and every single time, the, the, the key talking point is, well, uh, America was founded by immigrants. And, and you know, immig all immigrants are welcome in America and blah, blah, blah. And it's just, it's so wrong. I mean, it's like, you know, I don't even know where to begin with these people. <laughs> you know, it's crazy. Well, well you, you, you know, it's hard, to, it, it's hard to argue with people today that don't want to seek sincerely because they have zero education. They have zero classical reading. That we, we have generations of people that call themselves Christians that never read the Bible. We have generations of people that call themselves Americans that never read anything from, from the 18th century what which upon which this nation was founded we have generations of of people who have never read the classics 
all of these founding fathers were, were well-versed in, in the classics. They understood history. They understood how the Roman Republic worked. They understood how the Athenian democracy worked. That they understood how all these different forms of government, government what, they, what, what their faults were, that they, and, and therefore they understood the faults of the American Republic when it was founded. And, and they understood them very well. That's why they understood that only an honest Christian and, and diligent Christian people could maintain it, and we failed. I mean, it, yep. it's, there's a whole other sort of uh, list of reasons for the failure from the prophetic and religious realm that I could discuss, but they don't, really don't belong here. Yeah, you know, I, I wanted to actually bring that up, but maybe maybe we'll save that for just a moment. Real quick, I want to mention, if anybody's out there listening and they want to call in, we will take some calls. Um, I haven't really been – I, I can't really follow this chat room while I'm doing this. I just get too distracted. Um, but, Bill, I wanted to bring up something that, that, that's, you know, I, I kind of mentioned at the very beginning of the program. It's, it's pretty prevalent on the Internet, um, and that's this idea that the Founding Fathers were Masons. And, you know, the American Revolution was a Masonic or, or Illuminati-inspired revolution, um, which, which seems to me a little bit far-fetched. I mean, all you've got to do is read, you know, for instance, the Bill of Rights or, you know, even the Declaration of Independence or some of the other writings of the Founding Fathers. And um, it, it seems clear to me that these men were, were quite patriotic and, you know, honorable and righteous men. They were not, you know, some, some evil, nefarious Freemasons or, or, you know, Illuminati, whatever. So, so what's your take well, on well, this? Let's, let's look at the French Revolution real quick. The, the French Revolution, the noble classes were murdered, right? right? The heads rolled with the guillotines, Okay. Thousands and thousands of people, the noble classes were murdered, the Protestants were, were, were oppressed, the, the, um, God was taken out of the nation, and man became God with the French Revolution. It was the, it was the original, it was founded his own humanist church, and, and yeah. basically wanted to be the Pope and worship himself. That was the it French was, Revolution. It was the original Jewish Bolshevik Revolution. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Now, the American Revolution, what's the result? A, a Christian nation founded on Christian principles, totally different than the French Revolution. Totally different. And, and the well, Jew, well, how about, how the about Jew at the end of the French Revolution, at, at, you know, with the French Revolution, the Jew was emancipated. With the American Revolution, the Jew was still not a citizen. Right, yeah. So well, you can't well, tell me that the American Revolution, at, you know, nobody's going to be able to do that that's, that's educated. The American Revolution was organic. It was nothing like the French Revolution, which was basically, um, that basically a conspiracy against the noble class in, in France. Absolutely, yeah. I, I totally agree with you. But, I mean, what, what's your take on this idea that the Founding Fathers were Masons? Because I think well, well, a lot of them actually perfect. were. A lot of them were Masons, okay? And they used Masonry for the same reason a lot of people go to church today. A lot of people go to church today to, to, to hawk their wares and, and make connections and, and advance their businesses. Well, the so it was more... Okay, go ahead. It, it was more of a club. I mean, yeah, the rituals are, are contrary to Christianity, and good Christians should know that, but, but Masonry 
to the founding fathers what was more of a social club where men made business connections and hawked their wares and, 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 and advanced their businesses. Right, exactly. That, it, was like a, it was like the original, you know, social network. <laughs> you know, social that, that, that was the attitude Benjamin Franklin reflected uh, about his Masonic career in all his letters. Now, now, there was an Illuminati in Europe that was expelled from Bavaria right around the time of the American Revolution, but they didn't have a good, and, and a lot of them came to America when they were expelled from Bavaria. They were called the Jacobins, but they didn't have a good foothold in American masonry until the, the, the um, opening decades of the 19th century, of, of, I'm sorry, of, of, yeah, of the 19th century, the 1800s. So, so you, you can't really say that um, the American Revolution was a Illuminati conspiracy because the Illuminists were not in America yet. Yeah, exactly. Well, I have a quote here from uh, from George Washington, and and he actually uh, this was a letter written to. Let's see, does it say who it was written to? I can't. I, I I'm not sure. I, I could probably find it in here. It's a it's a long article, um, but this is from 1798, and he, he he's warning he's warning everybody that the that the the doctrines of the Illuminati, and and the principles of uh, of Jacobism. Jacobism, you know the the French, basically Bolshevism in, Fran in, in France, had had not necessarily spread to the United States, but there were agents of this conspiracy already here, and and he was basically warning the American people to always stay on guard and and on the lookout for these people, because they were trying to, to overthrow civilization. Basically, that's what he says in this letter. Well, well, right. Yeah, you know, Benjamin Franklin was the grandmaster of the Nine Sisters Lodge in France. And reading all his letters, I'd have to say that he seems pretty ignorant of the devices behind the French Revolution. The French Revolution was launched from the Grand Orient Lodge. Right, yeah. You know, it was a whole different set of Masons. And they, exactly. of course, they had their connections throughout Masonry, but you can't connect Benjamin Franklin to the Grand Orient Lodge or to that conspiracy. All of his letters seem to be basically ignorant of it, as far as I read. And, and I've read great numbers of Franklin's letters. I haven't read them all, but I've read quite a few. And um, he, he, was a, he was the grandmaster of the Nine Sisters Lodge and, and basically used it as a social club and um, – as a club to promote his wares and his businesses, his, his science and, and share his knowledge of science and things like that. Right. Well, and, I think, and, well, I womanized think, because he, he seemed to be a, a, a womanizer of some of the, the, the French noblewomen. Well, I mean, I think a lot of people just, as soon as they hear Freemasonry or, or you know, they find out that, that a lot of the founding fathers were Freemasons, they just immediately associate it with, you know, some sort of treachery or some sort of conspiracy or whatever. And I mean, that's just really not the, you know, how Freemasonry was, especially in America back then. It well, was well, not Freemasonry that we know today comes, comes at a much later time. It comes with the Jacobins. Then it comes with, with, with the, um, with, with the, the mystics like Albert Pike and people like that. Masonic lodges 
that they all have slightly different rituals, and a lot of those rituals aren't as old as the founders, that they all have slightly different beliefs. And it's not not the codified conspiracy that people might think it is. A lot of evil has been done through European masonry, there's no doubt, but it's not the codified um, cemented conspiracy that people think it is. The, the real picture is a lot more complex than that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, and that would probably be a whole other, you know, two or three hour show just to really tackle that subject. Well, well I'm not the guy for that. I'm, I mean, I know a lot of it through, through reading Nesta Webster, and I talked a lot of it with, with um, uh, on the podcasts that are available on my Mind Comp project with, with Brian. But, but um, I'm really um, not that well-read in, in the inner workings of masonry in more recent times. I'm not the guy for that. Sure. Yeah, no, I, I understand, yeah. Um, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd like to get Brian on here and, and have a conversation about some of this stuff. I think, I think he could bring a lot to the table, um, you know, and clarifying a lot of these things and, you know, expanding on them. So I'm going to... I'm going to try to get in touch with him soon and, and see if I can get him on here. Um, let's see here. I, I have some quotes here. And, you know, as I said, they're, they're, they're a little bit disputed or contested um, where men like Washington and, and Ben Franklin were specifically warning, you know, against the Jews and, and saying we need to exclude these people from our nation. I have a quote here from, uh, you know, allegedly from Washington. I'll read real quick. Um, he says here, they, the Jews, work more effectively against us than the enemy's armies. They are a hundred times more dangerous to our liberties and the great cause we are engaged in. It is much to be lamented that each state long ago has not hunted them down as pests to society and the greatest enemies we have to the happiness of America. Um, now, that's, that's supposedly George Washington writing those words. Um, again, this is a bit, you know, disputed and contested. I have one more quote here I'd like to read from Ben Franklin. Um, and he says here, I fully agree with General Washington that we must protect this young nation from an insidious influence and impenetration. That menace, gentlemen, is the Jews. In whatever country Jews have settled in great number, they have lowered its moral tone, depreciated its commercial integrity, have segregated themselves, and have not been assimilated. They've sneered at and tried to undermine the Christian religion upon which that nation was founded by objecting to its restrictions. They have built up a state within a state, and when opposed, have tried to strangle that country to death financially, as in the case of Spain and Portugal." Now, Bill, I, 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 don't, I can't say with 100% confidence that these quotes are authentic, but they sure do ring true to me. Well, well, first, Franklin had experience with Jews. Franklin worked and, and supplanted. He worked for well, when he was a very young man and, and supplanted, um, basically took all the business off, uh, a Philadelphia printer named Keimer, all right, who was a Jew. And Franklin basically um, stole the guy's business out from under him because Franklin was basically a lot better at it and could innovate a lot more. And he was pretty, Franklin was a very intelligent man. He he was also very shrewd, had good business acumen. 
and he ran his his former Jewish boss right out of business. I, I mean, I don't I, I don't see any wrong in that. God well, bless um, him, I say, Bill. God bless the man. <laughs> Franklin also um, had other experiences, uh, other negative experiences uh, on on the street, so to speak, with Jews that he wrote about in in, in his biography. The quote that you're you're, you're um, the the quote that you're quoting from Franklin, I believe, okay, but I don't use it. I don't use it because it. It is said to have come from the the, um, the diary notes of a man named Charles Pinckney, who, who was a, who, who was actually a, a um, he was in the military. He was a captain in the military. He, he rose to the rank of colonel. He won a seat in the South Carolina legislature. He, he ended up being a delegate to the um, the, the Constitutional Convention. And it was supposedly from his notes that that, um, that the Franklin quote comes from. Mm-hmm. I'm about to publish, and, and I'm, I'm I'm afforded the, the the luxury here of a paper that I proofread for Clifton Emmaheiser, who, who's um whose website I host, emmaheiser.christagenia.org. Clifton and I have worked together for many years, and he is about to get this paper published on his website which he wrote on that very quote that, that oh, you okay. just yeah. wrote this month, and, and it'll probably be on his website um, tomorrow or Thursday. Okay, excellent. Yeah, I'll, I'll stay tuned for that. So, so it, it, it seems to be a legitimate quote, but the diary notes of Charles Coatsworth Pinckney, where the quote was supposedly recorded, they're, they're not available to us now. I mean, we can't get our hands on them now. But that's where that quote was said to have come from. Now, now Pinckney is an, upsta- an, an outstanding character, that there's no doubt, and, and um, a, a great patriot. But to get his hands on his, our, our hands on his diary to see if the quote is actually there, that, that's another story. Now, now right. Clifton yeah. argues in defense of the quote, but, but the arguments in defense of the quote that they're, they're um, you know that they're, 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 they're it, it's it's circumstantial and it's not that there's no real solid evidence. But but I I would suggest right. that perhaps people watch for um the the title of this paper. Clifton's been doing a series on a lot of the, these controversial statements, right? And, and um. Clifton's series is entitled Wolves Declare Their Sheep Killing Plans Forgeries. And and he he his first um his first installment what was on the Protocols of Zion, which the Jews decry and, and, and disclaim. The second installment is on the um the Franklin quote and the third the third essay is on Peter Stuyvesant, which is pretty good. So that that the, the first installment's already posted on Clifton's website, and the next two are coming this week. Now, now the Washington Bill, tell us real quick, what is his website? Just give it out real quick. Emmaheiser.christogenia.org. You, you can find the links at, at the bottom of the main Christogenia.org page, Clifton's okay. website. Okay, excellent. Now, now the Washington quote is absolutely um, documented. 
Ah, okay. Uh, okay, the, but the, the problem is that, that most, pe- m- most people are easily deceived but because they don't understand that Washington's language did not use the term Jews. Washington's language used the term black gentry. Now, learned men would understand that he was talking about the Jews. And it could be demonstrated from Washington's um, comments concerning this black gentry that he was indeed talking about the Jews. I've done that in, in a, um, a, a recent Saxon Messenger editorial entitled The Wicked Black Gentry. I did a podcast on that very topic uh, about three or four weeks ago on that very quote. There is no doubt to, to the discerning mind that well, George Washington was talking about Jews when he, he, he um, actually made a statement in connection with the black gentry that vindicated Haman. Haman or Haman is the name of a mythical Persian general who wanted to kill all the Jews. And, and George Washington connected vindicating Haman in connection with his comments about the black gentry, there's no doubt that George Washington meant the Jews when he talked about the black gentry. So a lot of people that have quoted that quote have taken that term black gentry knowing he was talking about the Jews and substituted the word Jews. Ah, okay. I present the quote as it was originally produced in, in a book on Washington's maxims, from the, which was published in the 1850s by, by a man who was also a clergyman. And, and he published this book on Washington's maxims from Washington's letters and correspondence. And, and um, it's, a, it, it's a pretty voluminous book. That book in PDF format is also available now on Clifton Emma Heiser's website. Excellent. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's clear that, that, you know, many of the founding fathers recognized, you know, the, the threat that Jewry and, and you know, Illuminism or the Illuminati or whatever, you know, this, this Illuminati conspiracy, um, I, I think they, a lot of them did recognize these threats. And, I mean, that, that's why you get quotes like, you know, you, you were talking about earlier how, you know, we, we gave you a republic if you can keep it which was something that, that uh, I, I believe Franklin said, um, or something along those lines. But yeah, I mean, I, I think it's clear that, that they definitely recognize, you know, the threats that, that were out there. Well, no doubt, Washington, you, you know, the Jews in Philadelphia, in Newport, Rhode Island, Boston, Massachusetts, New Orleans, Charleston, South Carolina, um, New York City, yeah, you know, there were Jews all over the colonies at that time. Washington was a, um, he, he was a young British Army officer during the French and Indian Wars. He, huh? he, mm-hmm. he, he led many a battle in the French and Indian Wars. He, being an officer, was very familiar with the people supplying the troops in the French and Indian Wars. And it just so happens that the Franks family of Philadelphia had a virtual monopoly on the contracts with the, with the British crown as, as quartermasters to the troops, as suppliers of provisions to the troops, to the English troops 
in the French and Indian Wars. And, and right. George Washington would have had to deal with those people. And he knew from 30 years of experience, from three decades, four decades, I'm sorry, the 1750s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, four decades of experience dealing with those very people. He knew that they were the currency manipulators. He knew oh, yeah. that they were profiteering from the war. He knew that they created the black markets for goods because they were diverting things that were supposed to go to the troops. He knew all that. He knew mm-hmm. every way that they were working against the colonists and, 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 and basically taking advantage of the situation to make their financial gain. And he said of that black gentry, that, that, that um, he, he lamented that they were building up their own, that their, their own castles, basically, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, at the expense of the country. Right. That they claimed it their own. Exactly. Now, now what did, – did men like Washington and others, did they, did they recognize and understand the extent of, of you know, the Jewish involvement in the slave trade? I mean, were they aware of that as well? Well, well, you know, I don't know if they ever sat and quantified that in, in order to be aware of it, right? I, I really okay. can't answer the question yet, you know? The, the slave trade had a very English face because Englishmen were the pilots of all the ships, because Englishmen were manning all the ships, but they were all in the, they were almost all in, in the employ of Jews. Exactly, yeah, exactly. They were, either, they were either directly funded by Jews or they were working on behalf of, you right. know, for, for instance, Aaron Lopez, you know, who, who owned tons of ships and, and would have, you know, them, you know, basically, as he said, you know, the, the British sailors would go out there and, and, and do his work, but he was well, the well, one financing right. it all. Yeah. And, and the Jews will defend themselves today by saying that most of the slave traders were Englishmen. And, and, and what they're not telling you is the rest of the story is that most of the Englishmen were Jews in England. Especially the, you know, the, the, the financiers, especially. Yeah. 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 Well, it was the Jews in England, the Jews in Holland and, and, and basically in conspiracy with Jews in, in the Caribbean and Jews in the colonies who, who right. pushed the entire slave trade triangle between Africa, the Caribbean and, and the colonies, and, and, and pushed all those slaves into, into it, the Americas. Exactly, yeah. Well, you know, I wanted to ask you um, w- one last topic I wanted to bring up relating to America and the founding fathers, and in really just the founding of this nation, is w- what, what sort of biblical prophecies relate to the founding of America? That you're, I mean, I'm, I'm sure I, – I know you've done shows on this, and I, I've, heard, I've heard this discussed, and maybe you could just give us a brief overview of that. Well, well it, it, it's, it, it's – I don't know if it's possible to give a brief overview, but I, I believe that – and you need a whole <laughs> lot of background to understand it. it it's nothing that can be taught. That, that's the problem with history and with real learning. Uh, I'm sorry, but real learning is in a lot of dusty old books, and, and right. most Americans – don't have any patience for, for much more than a five-minute soundbite. They, they want it all in the time that it takes to, to listen to a TV commercial. It can't be done that way. And, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it's, so, so people would scoff at me 
Well, when I say that Revelation chapter 12 is basically a trifold you know, prophecy and has everything to do with the founding of America, Micah chapter 4 has everything to do with the founding of America. And, and there are other smaller um, prophecies in Daniel and, and Isaiah and Jeremiah, which, which are related to the same subject. Right. And, and, you know, I, I think actually describes the founding of, of, of a nation uh, on Christian precepts, and it's describing the, this nation, America. And, and that can be demonstrated, but, but it, would take me, it, it, it would take me probably 20 hours to do that. And, and that 20 <laughs> hours I've already done in, in the Revelation series uh, on, on my podcast menu. Sure, yeah. Well, and another thing I'd like to mention is that I, I really do think that many of the founding fathers recognized that, that what they were doing was truly prophetic and, and, and truly revolutionary. You know, that they understood the importance and, and the significance of their actions and, and the struggle that they were engaged in. I mean, well, because, well, yes, think about, because think about it, Bill. I was going to say yeah, real quick, think Think about it, Bill. Hold on real quick, and then, and then I'll let you respond. They were literally risking everything. I mean, most of these men were, were quite wealthy. They had large estates, large farms. Um, you know, they owned tons of land. They were risking everything. They were really sticking their neck out there to stand up for freedom, to resist tyranny, and, and really to install a Christian government. Well, well, absolutely, and, and the break from, from monarchy, a total break from monarchy, and exactly. Europeans had been under um, various forms of tyranny, and, and when I say tyranny, I mean um, monarchy or, or an emperor or, or a pope, that they've been under various forms of, of tyranny for, um, well, well, for 2,500 years. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's, I mean, that, that, that Thomas Paine quote perfectly summarized that, you know, the, the monarchs rule in Europe and in America, the Lord reigns, reigns supreme. Well, well, right. And, and he didn't explicitly say the Lord or Jesus reigns supreme, but, but he basically made a Christian profession. But when, when, when he said that, um, that the king of America reigns above. Okay, right, yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I mean, he, he may as well have said Jesus is king. Yeah. That's, that's what it means. It's not a, a deist statement. It's a Christian statement. And, and exactly. when you say, you know, Christ said, if you love me, keep my commandments. The, 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 the real Christians read the New Testament and understand the importance of God's law in our lives and the importance of God's law in the making of a stable and and Christian, well, a stable and loving and edifying society. Mm-hmm. And well, well, for instance, in Paul of Tarsus said, the end of Romans chapter 3 insists that, that Christians are not to do away with the laws of God, but to rather establish them. And, and real Christians understand that, 
Thomas Paine certainly understood that, that because he's saying that the divine law, the word of God, it, it, that is what we should place the crown thereon. That, that's very explicit here in common sense. And he says that that is what is king. That law is king. Mm-hmm. The rule of law, if you ask Thomas Paine, the rule of law is the rule of God's law. And, and that's what he explicitly stated natural in common sense. Yeah, nat- this idea of natural law. I think. Well, well, they believe that natural law, God's law was our natural law. He, uh, exactly, yeah. He gave exactly. man a law. And, and natural law to, to, to Thomas Paine would be God's law. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, that's that's exactly the point I'm trying to make. Um, well, okay, we have about 20 minutes left, and I definitely wanted to, to get into, well, kind of just comparing the Founding Fathers to Adolf Hitler and some of the struggles that 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 he was engaged in, and, and well, his, his political movement, uh, you know, the the NSDAP, what they were engaged in, and how it compares to the founding fathers. I don't know if you have any just general comments on, because I mean, I, I've said, you know, I said at the beginning that I view the founding fathers and Adolf Hitler and and the men in in you know National Socialist Germany as, as really being the, you know prime examples are, are the greatest leaders of, of Western civilization, especially recent history. Um, I, I don't know if, you, if you'd agree with me there or, or what your take is on this. Well, well I would agree that, and, and they were, you know, we've had some great Americans who, who thought along the same lines without even being um, German sympathizers and, and, and the last hundred years, but the Jewish media is so powerful here that these men are simply unheard of because they don't want to present any viable alternative to their capitalist paradigm. They will never present that in their media. They'll mock and they'll ridicule. That's all they'll ever do when they have to address the subject at all. They would rather not mention, ever mention their the, the, the men who arise with ideas that are viable and workable, they'd rather not mm-hmm. mention those and, and, and or, because they're never mentioned. Yeah. But most people will never know about them. Yeah, or they'll either, you know, totally denigrate and, and slander Hitler and, and, and even the Founding Fathers. Although uh, when they have to mention those men and their ideas, they denigrate, they mock, they scoff, and, and they abuse them. Right. And then... They'll present, you know, quote unquote, you know, revolutionary ideologies like libertarianism, which is totally, you know, just basically a branch of Jewish capitalism. Yes, uh, you know, they'll, they'll present this as, as, you know, a viable alternative or a viable uh, potential solution. You know, that's why Ron Paul got so much traction. Um, I mean, they, they certainly don't want to talk about. National socialism, fascism—you know, genuine, genuine um, free markets or, or genuine, uh, you know, free trade. Well, I don't even want to say free trade. What, what, what's the proper word here? Maybe you could talk about this a little bit because the founding fathers were—they're were, always presented as capitalists, you know, and all this other nonsense. And and really, the, the American economy was built on protectionism. 
American protectionism, protectionism, where we, you know, basically our, our, the entire federal government was funded on tariffs that we would charge to foreign, you know, exporters that, that were trying to export their goods to us. That, that's the only constitutional form of funding for the central government, for the federal government, is tariffs. Right. But there's yeah, no but the other income tax, form of funding for the federal government mentioned in the, in the Constitution but tariffs, to, to my recollection. Yeah, no, I think you're right. Yeah, I mean, I, obviously the, the income tax was instituted following, I think, World War One, And from what I understand, it was never well, actually was an income tax. I, I think there was an income tax earlier in, in during the Civil War period, or maybe a little later, that there was a, an experimental income tax that was short-lived in the 19th century. It, it may have been under Lincoln, but uh, I wouldn't say that with certainty. But the, the modern income tax began in, in 1912. Exactly, yeah. And the, the Jews were, were um, they couldn't set up their Federal Reserve but without a, a revenue collection scheme like the federal income tax, which is why it was instituted a year before the Federal Reserve. Yeah, exactly. So this was nothing but, the Founding Fathers had in mind. Well, well absolutely not. The Federal Reserve is a um, – it, it's not really a delegation of, of – it's, it, it's left to Congress to mint and coin money explicitly in, in, in the Constitution – and um, that, that's not something that they should delegate to a private corporation at, at granting an exclusive monopoly on, on the creation of money, which is it's, what it's done. total. It's total. Yeah, it's total treason. It's absolutely treasonous. Um, you know, it's illegitimate. And um, you know, to I mean, this this one issue. If we could just get people to understand this one issue, you know, we might make some progress here. But we're, we're, we're getting a little bit off track. I, I wanted to get back to, um, you know, comparing the Founding Fathers and, and their struggle with Adolf Hitler and his struggle. Um, what parallels do you see between these two? Um, well, you know, well, there are a lot of parallels between Adolf Hitler and the, founding, and, and the Founders. But I would, I would say it's my opinion. It's my opinion that any white Christian man that sits and reads all of the literature of antiquity and our Christian history, and that includes the Bible, the Greek and Roman classics, the medieval literature such as B. Jeffrey Amamas, and on up through the Enlightenment philosophers, and the Founding Fathers did that, and Adolf Hitler, he did a lot of that. He didn't to my knowledge, get into the English Enlightenment and, and French Enlightenment philosophers as much, but, but he did do a lot of that. And, and National Socialism actually began 100 years before Hitler in France with, with philosophers who, who were at, at least in part educated from, from Enlightenment literature. So, so that, that's where National Socialism really began. And, and Adolf Hitler... He had studied all these systems. He had studied the classics. He studied the Bible. And, and he basically had a lot of the education that the American founders had. And he was self-studied and many of the American founders. Men like Benjamin Franklin were, were, were totally self-educated. Not all the founders. Exactly. Many of the founders were, were totally self-educated, but Franklin was one of them. 
And um, mm-hmm. Adolf Hitler arrived at many of the same conclusions that the founders did. First, he was a man. He, he was a man who was a Christian in philosophy and in principle. And I, I'd even say in practice, I, Bill. I'd even say in practice the way he lived. Well, well yes, life. absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I mean, real men practice their philosophies and their principles, right? Right. Of course. Yeah. But real men do that, and and that was the founders, and that was Adolf Hitler. Now, exactly. now Adolf Hitler rejected and despised the the pomposity and the sacramentalism uh, of churchianity, and so did the founders. Exactly. Adolf Hitler. Adolf Hitler's struggle what was for the economic independence of his people from the central banking system. The founders wanted the economic independence of their people from the merchants of London and, and, and the masters of the city. They didn't call them Jews. Hitler knew they were Jews. Hitler wasn't afraid to tell them who they were. The founding fathers, that, that they saw the king as the um, as the figurehead of that, more than more more than Hitler did, but but they also in in the time of the founding fathers, the king actually had was a little more than a figurehead, and today the kings are nothing but figureheads. So so the world was a little different, right? Mm-hmm. So so Adolf Hitler basically had the same enemy as the Founding Fathers in England, even though they both didn't couch it in the same terms. Right. They, they yeah, I mean, they, they were, their struggles and, and the tyranny they were resisting was was basically, well, in principle, it was the same. It just manifested itself in, in, in different ways because they were living in different eras. Well, well right, but it was the economic, it, it was the economic, Tyranny imposed by the Jewish bankers of London, basically. right? And and just just the very um, you know just the very idea that that they you know just national self determination I think what was was what it was all about. I mean, in both cases, um, well, well, you know, absolutely. it wasn't it wasn't. My point is that it wasn't strictly an economic thing. That's my point. Although that, well, well, that, that well, was obviously a huge I mean, part of it. Religious freedom and other things are are a huge part of it. What with Germany, exactly, it, it it was a struggle against cultural debauchery. Oh yeah, totally. The yep. Jews didn't have their emancipation yet in the 18th century, and they weren't able to debauch um, American or European culture to the degree that they were able to do in the 19th century. But as soon as the Jews got their emancipation, we had burlesque and gambling and prostitution all over America as well as all over Europe. Absolutely. Yeah, that's and, so true. And, well, and I think that history, you'll find a Jew behind all of it. Oh, totally, yeah. And, I, and another point to be made is that, you know, the, the, the technology in the media, the, the mass media – and, and, you know, Adolf Hitler's Germany was much more advanced than it was, you know, back with the Founding Fathers. So the Jews were able to have a much greater impact on the culture and on the society of Germany versus, you know, America that the Founding Fathers grew up in. Well, well right. But, but um, 
the Jews didn't have the corner on the media that they have in America today. In, in oh, Germany, it's, it's, ten, Germany, times, it's ten times worse today, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's like Weimar on, uh, on steroids in America today. Yeah, it's incredible. Well, well absolutely. Well, well the, um, th- there are a lot of parallels between um, Germany in the 1930s and, and America in, in, the, um, in, in the late 18th century. There's no doubt. And, and yeah, Adolf absolutely. Man, uh, uh, was a man of substance very much like the Founding Fathers. He would have fit right if he spoke English, but with his education and his philosophy, he'd have fit right in with the constitutional conventional delegates, no doubt. Exactly. Well, I mean, Hitler and and the men that that he surrounded himself with and and that gravitated towards his movement and the founding fathers. I mean, again, they they really were the 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 best, the brightest, um, you you, you know, the most. Um, honorable men that our civilization has produced. I mean, there's no doubt when you really look at what these men were about. I mean, back, back when, you know, the, the Constitution was ratified and, and, and they were having presidential elections, guys like Jefferson and John Adams, you know, they didn't even want to go out there and campaign. You know, they, they thought that that was selfish and, and, you know, conceited. You know what I mean? I mean, they were very humble, respectable, honorable men. And, and, and very, statesmen, they were statesmen in the truest sense. You know, they cared about their, they cared about their country. They cared about the future of, of their children and, and the future of their country, just like Adolf Hitler did. Well, well, so well I, I see a lot of parallels. No doubt. That's why, that's why, they, left the, that's why they left the Constitution to themselves and their posterity. Right. Well, Bill, in Benjamin Franklin, in some of his early writings, perhaps from, from the um, 1750s or 1760s, he, he had sat and extrapolated how many Saxons could inhabit this continent um, if they were given economic liberty over a hundred years and over a hundred and fifty year period, he imagined how many Saxons, what the Saxon population of America would become, exclusive of all other peoples, because he didn't want North America inhabited by any other peoples. Exactly. Yeah, he he wasn't he wasn't, ant- he, he wasn't uh, anticipating or, or encouraging, you know, Mexicans to come here and black, you know, all these refugees and all the Southern well, well, nonsense. Just like Adolf Hitler knew that only a German could, could function in National Socialist Germany and, and, and right. to a healthy society, only a German by blood, Benjamin Franklin believed the same thing, that, that only a Saxon by blood could, could, um, could, could contribute and edify and, and help to grow a healthy Saxon society. A healthy well, Bill, society. yeah, I, I think these men recognized the fundamental laws of nature. And, and I, I, I really think that that's, you know, that, that's what the Constitution is. That's what National Socialism is. Um, that, that's the philosophy of Jesus Christ. Um, you know, 
Well, well, one, it, of the it, unfortunate, well one of the unfortunate parts of the Constitution is where it recognizes the Negro as three-fifths of a man. I think it shouldn't recognize a, a non-white as a man at all, especially a Negro. But, but um, that, that shows you the attitude of the founders in, in allowing a Negro to be only three-fifths of a man. The Yankees, and, 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 and I'll say Yankees, right, uh, as opposed to Southerners, that they, wouldn't, they didn't want Negroes recognized at all. In, in the Constitution. However, Virginia was the largest colony, and it was very powerful and, and very influential, and the Southerners wanted more seats in the legislature because they're, even though Virginia was the largest colony, most Southern states were rather sparsely populated as compared exactly. to New York. New York, Pennsylvania, and, and especially Massachusetts. And, and Massachusetts was um, a, a quite large colony at the time, and it, it actually included some territory to the north known as Maine today. But, but Massachusetts was big, and, and Virginia and Massachusetts were the two largest colonies in, in population and in influence. And, and the, 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 um, the, the makeup of, of, of the founders themselves is, is evident to that. Uh, I mean, the first, um, the first three presidents were, were um, from, two from Virginia and one from Massachusetts, right? Well, well um, and I think Monroe and Madison, Monroe and Madison, I think both of them were from Virginia also. So, so four of the first five presidents from Virginia. Well, well anyway... Because of, of that situation, the South wanted to make sure that they had as many representatives as possible in Congress. They wanted the Negro population to count for something so that they could have larger delegates to, 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 to the federal Congress, well, which at the time was right. in Philadelphia and, and then in Boston for a while, I believe, or, or in New York for a while that before mm-hmm. it went to Washington. But... but um. Yeah, yeah, they that they wanted to use the Negro slave population. Not that Negroes should be able to vote. None of them believe that. Not that Negroes should be citizens. None of them believe that. But that Negroes should be counted so that they could have more representatives sent to Congress. That, that's well, and, Bill, and what that's they were doing. Why, yeah. That that well, what they were. So- political reasons that Negroes were, were counted as three-fifths of a man. Right. Well, what they were doing is, is they were being practical because the entire Constitution, um, you know, the convention was basically in limbo the entire time because of the, the slavery issue. And this was sort of a compromise to get states to go along with, with the whole, uh, you know, idea of the Constitution, at least from my reading they were basically trying to be practical and, and get this, for, you know, finalized and, and ratified. Well, well, yes, and slavery was an issue. Yeah. Okay, well, I'll tell you what. We got a call on the line here. Uh, guest 18 has been hanging on here for a moment. Let me uh, unmute guest 18. Let's see. Can you tell where you're calling from? Yeah, this is uh, Trevor in Washington. Hey, Trevor, how's it going, man? Oh, I'm good. So I just had a quick comment. Um, it feels like uh, 
this is how you would start a white nationalist movement in this country. Um, you know, like how you would get all the patriotards and the libertarians and the American right wing to behind a white nationalist movement would be to harp on constitutional, you know, uh, the founding fathers in the Constitution. I mean, they're already harping on that. So if you can make the link to the Jew and, and what the founders thought of, of the Jew and, and, and the whole situation, that you could actually get some of that energy from the Tea Party, for instance, um, into a real movement in this country. Yeah, you know, that's a, that's a very good And, you know, one thing that I'm really going to try to focus on much more here on the Realist Report is, is talking about a mystery. I mean, I've done so many shows about World War II and, and Germany, and, and I totally am interested in that subject. It's very important to understand. But, I, you know, I don't think I've done a single show about, about the Constitution or America until this show today. So that's certainly something I'm going to be focusing more on, and I think you're exactly right. Bill, what do you Well, Well, you know, it's... It... It's um, I understand what Trevor's saying, but but it's so hard to wake people up without unless they have some sort of racial awakening in the first place. It, it's impossible to bring these, this message to people. Well, I I, I think that um, at least in the truth movement, you would have a lot of ground. I mean, I mean, I've been listening, you know, these kind of shows for only about six months. It didn't take me long to really, you know, start putting the shit together. Sorry. <laughs> Um, on on what was going on, and I think that if you harped on the Constitution and the founders, which they already do, I mean the uh, the Second Amendment, all, even the Alex Jones listeners, I mean they're all about this Constitution stuff. If you can harp on that message, you can actually build a real movement. It's 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 not about what we think. We can discuss religion and all that all day long. It's about convincing people that aren't aware. And if you can get a build a good movement behind what's already there. I, I think you could have something. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I think you're making some good points for sure. Although it is, as Bill said, it is very difficult to get people to, you know, I mean, I guess just even rationally consider the very concept of race. I mean, race seems to be like the third with most people. You can talk about the, you know, government corruption. As soon as you start talking about Jews and, and race, like the big turnoff. And and, and we've been programmed. We've literally been programmed to. Play. I mean, I, I myself, I never had any sort of racial understanding until you know maybe it would go. You know yeah, what I mean? It's about the same it, for me. Yeah, I mean, especially, I mean, I'm 11 years old, you know, growing up in America, you know, with, with this cultural Marxist education, you know, indoctrination and, and in the media and, and, you know, Hollywood, it's very, very difficult to, to break free from this psychological tyranny. Um, it, it takes a lot of work, and it's an ongoing process, even if, so, yeah, I mean, it's very difficult, but I think it can be done, and, and I think think, as you said, the way that we can do it is by focusing on America and the great men that founded this country. Well, exactly. And I think that, you know, get get all the people in this so-called movement on, on this. If I mean, if we get some kind of allegiance to each other and understood that we can argue as much as we want amongst ourselves, that's not going to do anything. You have to, you have to give it to 
to the people and, and something they can digest. And I feel like, um, you know, if everybody could just get behind this concept and, and push it on all their boards, you know, from like total fascism and pro think and all these people to get behind this concept, you you could, you know, have enough people writing about it to really get a message out there. Yeah, I agree, man. Yeah, I, I think we're making some progress, and, and, you know, I think we will continue to make progress. So, you know what, man? We, we're actually running out of time. We have one more call here I'd like to take. Um, uh, no so, no so, problem. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. I appreciate it, and I, I hope you turn into, tune into future shows. I'm uh, gonna, I will. <laughs> okay, thanks, man. Let me go to uh, – Bill, we just got one more call here, and then we'll wrap up. This is um, California – is what it says here. California, you are unmuted. Can you tell us your name? Uh, North Pal. Oh, oh, North Pal. Hey, what's up, man? How's it going? Uh, okay. I want to say hello to everybody. Uh, hello to Bill. Uh, yeah. You were okay, making some now, good points in the chat room real quick. Right. I mean, what are we talking yeah. about? The Constitution for the United States by the people or the Constitution of the United States? Because right now we're 14th Amendment citizens under the Constitution of the United States. I have film clips of representatives, my last one of Alan West, specifically saying that Obama is the executive director of this corporation, the United States of America. Well, well the okay? whole conversation has been about the original Constitution and the time of the founders, right? Yeah, no, well, we're talking about right now. We're not under that. No, no, the whole conversation tonight has been about that, though, right? So that people understand that. That's all we're trying to make people understand here, right? Well, we, I mean, we, can, we, we can go about that Constitution, too, that Constitution. Oh, well, yeah, but you're on a different program. That's all I'm trying to say. You're on a different program. You might be on the next program, but you're on a different program, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's well, talk yeah. about this. Let's talk about this Constitution at the first Well, right, but the point of this program was the, the original Constitution, right? Well, that's all. Talk about, let's talk about the original Constitution. The original Constitution was so the signers of the Declaration of Independence could spread the debt over everybody because they had trouble paying the debt. And it was to give Washington, or to give them the, the, the power to tax. Well, well, that's the conspiracy theory. If you want to look at it in reality, I mean, it's well, men want government. Governments cost money. Period. That's the way it is. And if you government is designed so that men protect their property, if you don't want your property, if you want to live in the wild west, that's fine. I mean, otherwise, you, you're going to have to spend some money to protect your property. Bill, we had the Articles of Confederation. The, original the, the Articles of Confederation had. had had you know, we're wanting a lot of provisions that that um assured fair trade That's between what the original convention was about. Okay, the, the Articles of Confederation okay. were not hold perfect. On, but then you had the, the you had the Federalists. Okay. Well, well, Chad, I gotta go. It's late, and, and I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I went out on a party. Yeah. Joe's on a different program. He's just on a different program. Yeah, no problem. You know what, Joe? You know this. Uh, I, this really should be – I'd like to do a show about this because I know that there's a lot of issues relating to this. Um, and, and we're pretty much out of time here. So let me go ahead and put you back on mute for a moment. And, Bill, I want to thank you for being a guest. It's been a very uh, fascinating conversation. And thank you very much for coming on tonight. We'll have to do this again. And, and you know, maybe I'll have to get somebody on that can talk specifically about, you know, the issues that, that, that North Pal was bringing up because I think they are important. Well, well and, right. you know, issues. they are valid issues in showing how – I don't agree with him uh, on basically the, the, the original Constitution, 
but his issues for the 14th Amendment and, and, and on certainly are valid issues. Well, it's been, see, and this is the thing, the Constitution has been morphed into this sort of corporatist structure that we see today. I don't think originally it was ever intended, you know, to, to, to be of that nature, but, but now that, that certainly was. Well, well, right, it wasn't, but, 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 you know, when the revolution prevailed, the, the bottom line of, of, of the ability of the government to, to, um, to tax and, and to mint and coin money and to tax and, and to collect tariffs, government costs money, whether you like it or not, government costs money. Right. Well, and I mean, if you want to enjoy the mutual cooperation and, and the mutual um, protection and, and equality under the law, well, well, the alternative is the law or the jungle. Yeah. So, so you pony up your Well, tenders. and there's a very – yeah, and real quick, I mean, there's a very fine line between, you know, too much federal power versus not enough. And this is something that guys like Madison and Jefferson and Washington and Alexander Hamilton, they were constantly debating and trying to figure out what the, what the proper role of the federal government is. And clearly, the Articles of Confederation – just simply, I mean, they were just lacking in so many areas. It was, it just wasn't an effective form of government. Well, well, right. I mean, the power of government is how much money you can collect for for doing what. Yet you want to limit what government can do so that it's not raping you. Yes, and, and that was the intention of the founders. Alexander Hamilton right. Bank. That was a bad idea. We know that. A, a lot of the um, most of the founders. You know, these men may have been lawyers. And they may have been, a lot of them were farmers. They weren't economists. They really, a lot of them didn't understand how the Jew banking trick worked. They just didn't understand it to, to a great right. degree. Yeah, you know, oh, yeah, it, they, they, were, they were busy trading and, 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 you know, actual goods rather than money. They, didn't, they had no conception of. of well, right. I, I mean, yeah. the central bank was a bad idea. Yeah. Uh, and Jackson figured that one out and he got rid of it, right? And, and the, the country well, ran fine. Thomas Jefferson and, and James Madison certainly figured it out, and now they're demonized as conspiracy theorists by, by mainstream historians. Um, okay, well, I'm way well, over. To, yeah, for, for, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Bill, thank you so much for, for coming on tonight. Uh, again, check out uh, christagenia.org. It'll be linked over at john-friend.net as soon as this program is over with. And um, I will talk to everybody soon. I'm actually going to be interviewing Zan Overall, a friend of mine up in Los Angeles who's been uh, involved in the 9-11 truth movement for, for a number of years now. I'm going to be interviewing him tomorrow morning, bright and early at 7 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. So if you guys want to tune into that, um, that would be great. I will post the show on my website once it's over. And this is John Friend signing off on this Tuesday, June 18th edition of The Realist Report. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. I will talk to you tomorrow.